Welcome to the first episode of The Peas and the Podcast, where we discuss trends and provide commentary on media and social justice issues, as well as our own personal life experiences. The pods are the articles and stories that are abuzz in our society and culture, and the peas are our own thoughts and takes on those concepts. Without further ado and short introduction, I am Daphne, and I am mildly irritated about a lot of things and interested in all things fiction, except reverse racism. I'm Starlisha. I'm adopted, and over the last few years, I've been learning more about Black culture. I am the person in the friend group who will try to code switch, but is afraid of offending people. My catchphrase that you will probably hear me say most often is, there's a lot to unpack here, which has often been referred to as the academic and more professional version of yikes. (laughs) And I'm Jameer. And I'm telling you guys, this podcast gets very political. All right. So I am going to open this up. We have topic number one. Um, this is Star. So I made the decision a very long time ago that I didn't want to have children. There are a few reasons. The I- Number one being the idea of being responsible for a child's moral upbringing is incredibly daunting and gives me crippling anxiety. Number two, the idea of incubating a child and shoving it out of my body is terrifying and gives my anxiety anxiety. Labor would stress me out to the point of harming my baby, so why would I choose to go through that? The article I found, I mean, it's like true. You hear all that, all the, like every medical show you watch, you know, there's at least one episode where the mom goes into labor, she starts freaking out, the baby's heartbeat drops, and it's just chaotic. Like, I don't, I don't want to choose that for myself or another human being. Um, so the article that I wanted, that I stumbled across on Facebook last week was from the New York Times. And the title is Why America's Black Mothers and Babies Are in a Life or Death Crisis. And it just talked about the high um, maternal and infant mortality rate that Black women in America face in spite of having access to relatively decent modern technology and healthcare. Um, This wasn't really something that I had actively thought about because I don't want kids. Um, And right. It's just, I don't want it. So (laughs) it never really crossed my mind that there's a whole segment of society being treated worse in a doctor's office. And number two, part of my privilege, I guess, is that I've never been treated poorly at a medical office which I know, I know it happens and it's like a completely valid thing. And I feel absolutely terrible for anyone who has, but it just never occurred to me in my conscious thoughts. Oh, some people get rushed out because of these biases that health workers have against women of color. And a lot of the article touched on that. Um, And of course now I'm like, Oh, which ones were they? But things like assuming that, black women were just stronger by nature and didn't need as much care when, you know, delivering or giving birth or the assumption that women from underserved and um, more minority communities didn't know the questions that they should be asking when they step into the doctor's office. So the doctors or the healthcare providers would just give them very basic information and not as much as in-depth information as our white female colleagues might get when they step into a doctor's office because of this implicit bias that we all know is a thing here in America, even though we, even though there are some segments of society who refuse to see that. It is definitely a thing. Um, and one thing that came up for me when I was reading through this, a few things, but one of the main things was I was remembering about venus well serena i'm getting them confused all the time serena williams same i, was, I had to google <laughs> it. i know and i know the twins. difference and i know the yeah difference. i googled it and i still wrote it wrong in my notes and i was like that's not right <laughs> serena williams has 23 grand slams in tennis she won a grand slam while what was it like five or six or seven months pregnant and no one really knew she just went out there and killed it and it was great um she gave birth 
to a little girl and she has a history of blood clots and she felt something just happening to her lungs and she started coughing and she knew that she needed to have medical attention immediately. And of course, it's Serena Williams. She's probably in some bougie hospital with an amazing medical team and they literally saved her life because she lost so much blood and she knew that she was in danger of just dying after having her baby and then she was bedridden for six months after giving birth um so there was just that was just a that was just interesting to me to see oh here's this black woman who i'm sure has faced prejudice and racism especially in the tennis community which of course i know nothing about but i could we could assume based on the celebrities we see sitting courtside at wimbledon that it's pretty affluent and even she and pretty warm. pretty let me just say what? it I'll, I'll say it because beyonce was there me i'm not gonna say it affluent is another word for whitey white yeah and not just like american <laughs> white but like european white and australian white and like the original, the, ori- <laughs> the original white. The original. Yeah, the original white being diet white. Diet white. <laughs> we the diet. Meaning whites, like you know. European Americans, and I mean, of course, we just hope and pray that little corners of sports are changing that way. But who knows? Um, so it's just fascinating to me to see that she knew she had something wrong, and had had her primary doctor not been in had those nurses not cared that it was serena williams you have like all these xyz factors that are like could she even though she is in a position of privilege in the sports world and monetarily could she have fallen victim to this implicit bias that causes so many mothers and babies to die but she almost did she almost did yeah and that's the whole thing is like she almost did but she didn't you know, mm-hmm. but but even I think in the article it said that at one point, um, what was it? Wait, yeah, uh, the article was called "Why America's Black Mothers and Babies Are in Life or Death Crisis." Yeah. Um, in the article, it had said that she had requested that they check on her because of her history of blood clots, and it wasn't until she like coughed or something that. She burst the stitches, and so they had to go oh, do surgery, right. which yeah. is which led to them even finding the clot. So in reality, it wasn't something that was, oh well, she's rich and famous, and that's why they kind of play up more to listen to yeah. her. It was really just sheer comeuppance that. Oops, I ripped my stitches, and now you guys care to give a shit because you found something. I don't think any doctor, I think this might be a legal issue, but I don't think that any doctor is going to open anyone up, see a blood clot, and be like, well, right. that's another issue for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually glad you mentioned that because this this leads into something where I'm like, oh, yeah, I obviously read that in the article, and then I went Google searching, and I read her letter that she wrote for Vogue or wherever about it and it was worded completely differently so I think in my brain I read what she wrote and I was like like it was all the same information but she presented it as like I have a history of blood clots and I knew something was wrong whereas in the New York Times article exactly what you said Daphne it was like she because she had a history of blood clots she requested extra care so there we have like I don't want to doubt either one of the authors, obviously, because both is correct information. I mean, I wouldn't even say that both, it, like, both of those pieces are correct. I'm, I'm always more prone to take it from the source. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it's the same as like with any good book, you know, you have to rely on what the narrator gives you. And it's Serena's story. And however Serena felt is how she's going to interpret the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even if that does deviate in some kind of capacity from the reality of what has transpired, I still think that, yes, she had to end up saving her own life. Yes, she did request, like, please take more care because I have a history of blood clots. And I think a lot of 
people, especially women who do go to the doctor more than men, they constantly are saying, I have this history or I have this issue. Can you look out for it? And are getting told it's not that serious. They're bypassed. Take ibuprofen, pop some Tylenol, go about your day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same thing that happened with her. It's just that from the New York Times article, the the thing that ended up saving her was also something that she did. Mm. So in essence, she did save herself, but it was an accidental save. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so another part of this article is the idea of a doula, which is something I have only recently encountered and didn't have any history of knowing what that was. In fact, embarrassingly enough, I had like no idea. And I have I have a Facebook friend found out. You wanna know where I found that out? You wanna know what? You wanna know how I found out what a doula? How? Erica Badu, because she is one. She is. She's a doula. She actually, I only found that out though from watching Jesus and Mero, because they had her as a guest specialist, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm a doula." So she brings. And, and she's something else. I forget what it's called. It's like another form of doula, but it's like the death doula. Like the end of life. I don't even know what a doula is. So a doula... Okay, let me tell you what I thought it was at first in my naive... I don't even know if I want to admit this out loud, but I know you guys will get a kick out of it. So in my naive white girl part of my brain, I was like, oh, that's like medicine man, witchcraft like voodoo voodoo, sage in the room type stuff right and i didn't know and i didn't look it up because again i don't want to have kids so i was like this is probably that i can rest in my naivete a little bit right because i don't care to know at that moment but then i have a facebook friend a facebook friend who does a lot of advocacy work for black and women of color um moms so she does a lot of this maternal and birth advocacy work, which I think is really cool. And she started talking about doulas. So I, my ears opened up a little bit and then I came across this article and really all a doula is, is not all, I shouldn't say that they do have medical training, but they also have a lot of psychological. They usually have like a psychology background as well as holistic medicine they're not there to replace a midwife. They are there to assist a birthing mother. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Why doesn't every, even like, why doesn't every small medical hospital offer that option? Just have like, and I mean, I know why there's a whole messy, sticky insurance thing. And a lot of them are black ladies. And we all know how people look at black ladies. They're just sage in the room, you know, like, they because people don't know about it and in this article uh the woman that it was featuring had a doula and it was amazing it really touched me kind of hearing how she advocated for her at her doctor's appointments and how um the woman had had miscarried and she was afraid to carry to term again, or she was afraid that her next pregnancy was not going to carry to term. And her doula sat her down and had her write in her favorite color crayons, like all of these truths and just put them around her house. She had them hanging in her kitchen. She had them hanging in her bathroom. She had them hanging in her living room. Just all of the things that she knew to be true in her heart to quell her anxiety about her next pregnancy, possibly not being carried to full term. And I just was like, that's amazing. Everyone needs that. And I'm a strong advocate for therapy, which I realize isn't accessible to everyone. But even something like knowing your truth and writing it down and or ha- taking someone with you to your doctor's appointment who can say, okay, I know that you're concerned about this area, but if you're not comfortable wording it to the doctor, I'm more than willing to help you through this situation because I know who you are and I know what your anxieties are. So I was like, this is so cool. And there was a brief moment where I was reading this article that was like, I don't want to give birth, but maybe I could like be a medical advocate, which is not in my wheelhouse of skills (laughs) at all. It's like the last (laughs) thing I should probably be doing, but it was just really interesting to me. And I, my question 
I guess. Like, Daphne, did you know about doulas before, other than Erica Badu? <laughs> I, I knew of doulas. I didn't know they were called doulas. So with that was more or less this tradition of Black women not only being midwives, but also being midwives and doulas, where they were the ones giving birth since like the ages of slavery. Mm. Um, and we're in a time where it's damn near impossible to have a baby survive without getting some kind of sickness or illness. Um, we, through the medical history and insurance and all of that money-hungry stuff, we've completely casted out this cultural significance of blackness. Mm-hmm. And I found out more what a doula was from Erica Badu speaking on it. And when she even said, like, um, it's important for her to bring life in, but also to um, be able to see people on their way out to death. So that at no point do you feel as though bringing in life is scary or burdensome or dying is scary or burdensome. Well, that's interesting. And I think, yeah, and I think understanding the role of a doula who is there at this high traumatic moment of somebody's life, they're bringing them in and coming to someone and basically being this powerhouse where when black people are constantly neglected, it's it's important to have. Yeah. And I, as we're wrapping up, I do want to touch on something you just said about birthing or death being burdensome and how many times do we as black women go through our days feeling like we're the burden you know and Mm. i think that's so important to have an advocate and have someone there like you said at a high traumatic event so anyway that was kind of what i was thinking about this week and it's a really interesting article and we will post the link to it for you all to read and weigh in on So, (laughs) moving right along into this segment, um, I'm calling it Global Perspective, uh, just because, you know, I'm interested in all things like global culture and politics or whatever. Anyways, today on Global Perspective, I have stumbled upon an article that is not only perplexing, but also a clear indication that, quote, every action has its equal opposite reaction (laughs) and petty. I cannot say that, I can no longer say that phrase without thinking of Hamilton, so forgive me. Um, basically, this article discusses in great detail how, quote, a combination of cultural preferences, government decrees, and modern medical technology in the world, in the world's two largest countries, um, has created a gender imbalance on a continental scale. Basically, men outnumber women by 70 million in China and India. You don't say. (laughs) Right. 70 million. So this article considers how um, preference towards male children in China during the one-child-only rule greatly assisted this imbalance. It even digs into the illegal sonogram readings many partake in to abort children that are girls. In India, the continued harassment and violence towards women is a great fear for many parents, thus leading to a more male population that creates a more violent atmosphere for women. Women are not the only ones feeling the societal ramifications, however. Um, This issue is a genderless volcano. The article states that a disproportionately male population leads to issues socially and economically, for many men of marrying age in China, there is increasing responsibility to marry and produce grandchildren. However, there are not many fish in the sea to appease these eager parents. Economically, the vast majority of men have dramatically increased the cost of housing and property value. Women are now able to choose suitors who can afford to pay their families higher bride prices than before. So basically, men are buying bigger homes and more lavish luxuries in order to attract women. I mean, they do that everywhere, but <laughs> not like this. Um, so in China, the bride, pi- the bride price was once a few hundred dollars, and today it, they said it's at nearly $30,000 in wild. some parts of China. <laughs> I- right. Imagine... 
imagine I'm trying to get my shorty, but somebody's like, you got to drop that 30K. <laughs> Um, also, for the men in rural China and the ones in poverty, this creates almost an impossible burden. Um, many women of rural China are moving to larger cities in hopes of finding a wealthier husband. For both Chinese and Indian men, they say the lack of financial security and the migration of women has led to depressive states, perceived unworthiness, and a feeling of failure or being burdensome to the mothers who still greatly assist them. So a lot of the men who were basically expected to have wives who would clean and cook and do quote-unquote women's roles are finding that they're having to clean and cook for themselves and if they're not adapting in some way their old mother is still doing it for them and their husbands which mama was not expecting the article further details individuals who were boxed out from marrying their grade school girlfriends or women near their homes one man said he paid over 40k to neighboring families to court their daughters, yet they kept most of his money and offered their daughters to wealthier or more suitable men. 40k. No. He dropped 40k and I think it was only between like two or three women in the article. 40k. Um the article tells how men have resorted to mail order brides. So in this guy's particular case after he dropped those that 40k and never saw it again, he ended up getting a wife from through a Cambodian trade. At least he can, he can count on that, I guess. Uh, well, the article also says how men have resorted to mail order brides, but it says the women, it says most of the women come from Cambodia, Vietnam, and Russia. And when they come to China, it's under the guise that they're going to be offered employment, money for their families and access to life they want. For the guy who dropped 40K, he ended up marrying a woman from Cambodia, and she only came over because she was promised a job in China. She didn't get that. Had two kids with this guy. She said that he's great. The family loves her. The neighbors think she's a nice person. So her marriage ended up working out. The only thing she was disappointed by was that she couldn't get a job. But he has enough money that he's able to send her family money in replacement of the job. So I guess that, that kind of worked out. But for them... Because for many other women who came through these trades, they merely find a life of abuse, false promises, and a marriage with children they cannot leave behind to escape violence. In the final telling of this article, it touches on the young girls of India who are taking a stand against male harassment. With long walks to school, these girls have faced harassment in its more prevalent form with the increase of, quote, too many men, which is also the title of this article. Overall, this article brings forth the truth that masculinity has been too long a preferential staple in the global community. As a consequence, it has hurt the very people it placed on a pedestal. This article also begs the question, well, these are my questions, but what of homosexuality in these high male countries, both for men or women? How are women perceived if they are lesbians? How are men perceived if they choose homosexuality? Um, are all these men truly, quote, destitute from love? Um, how are the ramifications of high property costs being dealt with? What of the women who do not wish to marry for financial security, but instead want to choose a man they have known their whole lives? Their families are the ones setting them up. I have a lot of questions, but the article is lengthy enough, I guess. So head over to the Washington Post and read Too Many Men by Simon Denyer and Annie Cohen. And that is my topic on global perspective. Can I say something about that? <clears throat> yeah. So one of my best friends from college has lived and worked in China for almost seven years. And there was this girl, he's white. There was this girl who he really liked, but he was like, he would repeatedly say to me, I don't know. She's cute, but I don't have enough money. It's like, I just don't have enough money. And I was like, okay, but, like, if you like her, and he was like, no, 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 you don't get it. So he explained this whole concept to me. And, of course, that relationship didn't end up working out for one reason or another. But for me to hear that, I'm just like, her parents were expecting you to drop coins on this girl and have a good... weren't going to return. Right. And have a good job and have a nice car. Like, it's just insanity to me and now of course he has this great girlfriend 
and his her parents love him and I don't he's making a bunch of money in a new job and like everything is hunky dory but I've never thought about the other perspective of like the Chinese men who are now feeling subpar because they can't get enough money to get a wife just saying that sentence in 2018 makes my head spin <laughs> all right so hi everyone I, fe- I felt like we really couldn't have a podcast talking about social commentary without other, without like talking about others backpedaling that starbucks has done within like i guess the last couple weeks free macchiatos if you black. <laughs> but honestly this is really less about starbucks and more about like this bigger problem of why white people are so gung-ho to call the cops on black people. Because, like, it's not just, like, the Starbucks. This isn't, like, a really isolated event with, like, the rise of, like, gentrification and stuff in urban hubs, like, places like New York and Chicago and Philadelphia. I can only assume that these occurrences are becoming more and more frequent. And the specific article that I'm referencing, they, uh, the uh, our, the guy who wrote it, he pretty much said that he was at like a hotel, and he was having a problem with his receipt. So like he, so he went up to like he went up to like the front desk, and by the time he went up to the front desk to dispute the receipt, they the cops were there to like try to lock him up. And I'm like, oh, that's so uh, that's like things escalated very very quickly. And so like one quote from the article is what he said. When white people threaten to call the police on black people out of anger, out of spite, out of prayer of vindictiveness, they're effectively saying, I'll kill you. And with this quote, I totally agree. They know that their whiteness warrants them safety with cops that we can't hope to receive. And like, so, but this was like, as like as I was writing this, I was really just having the Starbucks situation in mind because that was fresh, especially since that's like my neighborhood Starbucks too. Which made it, yeah, because, like, with Starbucks, they're not all around Philly. So whenever I go to Starbucks, I had to go to that one. So, like, when that thing happened, I was like, that Starbucks looks very, very familiar. Oh, like, my God. And I'm like, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, because those, like, especially Starbucks downtown, they do not play. Like, if you're there and if you're there for, like, three minutes and you have an order, they start looking at you crazy. But they never caught the cops on me. Like, damn. But yeah, so there was so like I know you pro- you probably heard about like the one Waffle House story. How like the black guy he um saved everybody's life. I haven't heard it. Well, there were, well, there's another Waffle House oh. story. So there was a woman. She had a problem with her receipt. Kind of sort of like what happened with the um guy in the article. So she went up. So she went up to her to the. Uh, so like the manager was like, why did you charge me for uh, using utensils? Like, they charged her extra because she didn't want to use, uh, like, the little plastic forks or whatever. And she was like, yeah, I shouldn't be charged for that. And that, by the time she went up there, they had caught the cops on her. And the cop, they pretty much, like, threw her to the ground. And when they threw her to the ground, they ripped her shirt off. So, like, she's just, like, f- flailing on the ground, like, trying to, like, cover herself up and, like, like the cops are like gripping her up, they're saying she's resistant, and I'm like, this seems like, something, like I don't know, this seems like something like it's, like it had to be like something cinematic. Like this can't be like real life. So because of the fact that like she had a problem with with, with like um her receipt, she just had they had to throw on the ground. Like they 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 couldn't they couldn't just have like a civil conversation, and then like. Within that same week that that story came out, there was another story about, um, I think, five or six black women. They were playing golf. Supposedly, they were taking too long that's or something. the county and, like, over. Sorry, that's the county course. over from where I live. That golf course is like 30 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. Man, See, y'all both got to get out of Pennsylvania. That's, y'all messing up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I better, not, I better not walk anywhere with my receipt. For the stuff that I pay for. Can we add that to the list but of yes. things black people cannot do? Have a problem with have receipts. <laughs> Just have a receipt. We always need to have receipts. As Whitney Houston has said, where's the receipts? Where's the receipt? But we can't be physically well having a receipt. Trash. <laughs> but yeah, like, Incredible. so with my article, I came up with a few questions. It was like, the first one is, so yeah, why do you think, like, why are white people so happy to call the cops on us? Like, can I, can I jump in on that one? 
So mm-hmm. yesterday at my job, and I think I was telling Star this. So two of my coworkers, they're married to cops. Now, I was under the impression mm-hmm. that all white people knew how the police worked and they just didn't give a shit. Apparently not. Apparently they live in this bubble of ignorance that is white. And both of them, who are married to police officers, well, somehow there had been this story of this man in the woods and this big manhunt, whatever. The cops came and all they heard were that they're using non-lethal tactics. None of these white people knew what non-lethal meant. And I'm sitting there like, y'all never heard of rubber bullets? Like, y'all don't, what? I just couldn't wrap my head around it. One of them calls her husband and he's like, rubber bullets, beanbag <laughs> bullets. He's like, it's it's things that will do harm, but it won't kill you, hence non-lethal. And I was just so blown away because I know so many white people who are like, I feel threatened, call the police. They fix things, they're there to quote, protect us. And they are. They were originally founded to wrangle up the niggas. That's what their job was. And to this day, they're still wrangling up some niggas. And I think white people inherently have been spoon-fed this narrative that the cops are good. And if you never question why they're good, you just keep going with it. And I don't yeah, and I don't much. think it's so much this I don't think that it's manipulated or calculated racism. For some it is. I ain't gonna hold you. For some people, it's really about, oh, let me show you the power that I actually have over you since you think you're gonna play these games with me, because I'm white. But I think for a lot of them, they know I have an issue. I feel uncomfortable. They told me that this thing is for me to call when I feel threatened. And and I think for us, we look at the cops as like, these are the same people who rode us into towns to get lynched. No trial, no judge, no jury. They say, yeah, we're going to arrest you for some dumb shit. Shit, we're not even arresting you for a reason. We're giving you resisting arrest for no arrest. And we're going to hang you up by this tree and put you in jail for X, Y years. And I think white people feed off of it. They they see power and they they go towards it like moths to a flame. That's that's my big thing, like thought. It has to be. Because I just don't know how they're possibly this delusional that, yes, the cops are supposed to help, but... The reality is the there's just a few bad apples. No, there's a lot of bad apples. There's a lot be, of bad there's a, a lot of bad apples and the few good apples are getting smushed by the bad apples. And that's the issue. So I'm just gonna jump in there too. Being raised by white people, sure, cops, whatever, but like being raised in a rural area is completely different, I feel like. Because no one liked the cops around our area. Like, of course my parents wouldn't say anything bad about them, but we all knew that that one cop pulled over anybody for anything because he was bored, you know? Like, as far as I knew, it wasn't there. And I could be wrong, and I should actually go back and figure this out. But as far as I knew, there was never, like, calculated incidents of, like, police brutality in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. Like, small podunk farm town you know (laughs) but even so do you not take into consideration that your town is mostly white yeah but no but like yeah my town was mostly white but no one really like our police force wasn't that big so i guess what i'm saying is that like i don't think people thought oh i'm uncomfortable in this situation i should call the cops like i don't know if that was the first natural thing because it was a rural area and because most of us lived on farms or like most of some people's like parents i don't know it's just like we'll see it's just interesting to me to think about it no i i completely get what you're saying but one thing that i found is that even in those rural areas you know the cops they come to they come to sunday dinner yeah when 
kids are jumping in the back of the pickup and setting trees ablaze. It's Johnny, get your boy. Yeah, true. It's not, I don't know this stranger and I'm calling another stranger to come fix it. That makes sense. It's like more like the small town mentality is actually the small town mentality. Whereas what you guys are speaking to is like, Oh, here's a white barista. Where the niggas are. Right. Here's a white Where's barista who's uncomfortable by those two black dudes who were, by the way, as far as I know, and Jameer and Daphne, correct me if I'm wrong, sitting and waiting for a friend so they could discuss real estate. Is that correct? Yeah. So they're, um, you know those people who, like, they buy, they, like, buy houses at a like lower rate, right? And then they, like, fix it up. Yeah. That's yeah. what they call it, flippers. So they were waiting for their white <laughs> friend to come. Yeah, so, like, so yeah, because the, the business partner's wife. So like you know, they went for their wife from, and then um, the like somebody had stopped them. They were like, "Oh, so um, yeah, y'all y'all got to order." And they were like, "Oh, well, look, we're gonna order when our friend comes." You know what I'm saying? Because like, ain't no point in them getting coffee and stuff, and their friend's not there yet. So, the people were like, "Okay," I, this is like pretty much what they what they said. Happened. And then like, I don't know where the police came and like gripped them up. And they were confused because they were like, I thought everything ended on good terms. Like, why well, was this nasty lady called us? Well, I don't, because I don't know. Let me not say she's nasty. Well, why would this, um, why would this, uh, lady. <laughs> just skip the adjective altogether. <laughs> just, yeah. lady. Like, cause she, the whole lady she really out. had no reason to, um, she really had no, she really had no reason right. to do that. Call the cops. I mean, you know, white women love playing came, And then if the cops came and they would have got shot, it would have been a. I didn't. I didn't think. That, I didn't think that the cops were actually going to come. Nah, I that's. I could. I could definitely see her trying to put it off. Girl. I never. I never hear that it, come from white women's lips. It's always. I'm honestly. I feel like this is how it played out. She came over there speaking all wild and crazy and rude, thinking that she wasn't quote being rude. Y'all need to leave. And they clapped back and said, we're waiting for our friend. Probably said it with minimal extra bass in their voice. And Becky's victim switch turned right on. She, You know, she had a sensitive trigger. I'm calling the police. And that's all it took. And if they would have got shot, she would have played her little victim story and went about her day. And nothing in her little white life would have went unchanged. Pretty much. Oh, wait. I have another question. Yeah. Okay. So when are cops going to be held accountable for enabling white supremacy? Never. Cops are, they were created through white supremacy. You can't be born of a mother and then say it's not the same genetics. And like <laughs> Daphne was saying, like the good apples, sure, they're probably few and far between, but they are being crushed by the, like, you don't want to believe that what you see in a fictionalized television show or like movie about cops covering each covering each other up or like threatening each other you never want to believe that's true because we have like we try to separate truth from fiction but yeah it's true every there stuff like that happens on a day right and it's just like i feel em not empathy i am like i do feel bad for the few very good cops but like also i'm like but can't you be doing like a half an inch little bit more to like push back against it yeah, or like, like uh, is it that is the corruption that bad you know off. okay most people follow the herd <laughs> you rarely get somebody to break free of the pack and just because they're police officers doesn't mean that they're not people right um and i think another thing for me that i had to realize too even the ones that do come forward, especially the people of color, they've they've done tons of panels where they're saying, we're told to meet quotas. We're mm-hmm. told to target the homeless and the weak and people who nobody's going to come to bat for. Black people, brown people, who's going to come for bat- to bat for them when we're harassing all of them? I don't want to be the next person harassed. So I'm just going to let Tyrone go to jail. Yeah. You know? And because of that, there's a system of fear. And... Fear will make people do a lot of things that are out of their norm or out of the just out of justice. The reality is, it's born of white supremacy, and white supremacy is white supremacy will always be. And 
that is the whitey white way sounds about white that is quite <laughs> it <laughs> actually that's really good thank you for sharing that because i think i mesh i mesh cop and human and i never think to separate it so that's a really good point thank you good job way to listen to the white <laughs> ladies in your office i mean they go non-stop so we are now moving on to star yes it's you great so um this quick little introductory segment is called this day in history and i yeah i googled it and nothing i mean there was like one interesting thing that happened on this day in history and i couldn't find a lot of information about it student african-american and black students at ohio state sat in or i don't it was worded weirdly. They went to Old Main on the Ohio State University campus to demand equal rights, which is great and it's awesome. But I think the protest lasted for a day, which Daphne said is like her type of protest. <laughs> like, Girl. get in, make a change. You just stand there for a few hours until they let you go. Go home. I mean, you're not really go to bed. You're not really doing much change <laughs> right. through a one day protest. Sure. But you know, we said we said we had to say right, and we got out. Tomorrow we're gonna go watch. Our fifth season of Scandal, right. you know. Yeah, but we're <laughs> we're thanks. Um, but in current, present, oh my gosh, this is actually happening today. History or this week history. Meek Mill is free, which I was. <laughs> Daphne suggested that I talk about <laughs> it, and then I immediately went to his Wikipedia page, and I was like, "This dude." <laughs> Like my man came out of prison and went to a Sixers game. They flew him from the, the prison, most- which I'm not sure which prison in Philly. Maybe Jamir could tell us. But like, how far away, Jamir, do you think it is from whatever prison Meek Mill was in to there. the Wells Fargo Center by helicopter? Yeah, because very far away. So, <laughs> was he um, at the top? That, yeah, like that North Philly isn't. I don't. I don't think that jail was actually in in Philly for for. Yeah, like. Because there's there's not okay. really like jails to my knowledge with, like in our actual city limits, yeah, mm-hmm. right in the city. It's like outside. Okay, but yeah, he hopped on a helicopter, flew to the Wells Fargo Center, and rang the opening bell for the game, the Sixers game, the other night. That was wild. Which I haven't watched a video because I like I just can't deal. <laughs> Like, I think it's the most ridiculous thing. And it solidifies the fact that black people are the most lit. And, like, <laughs> I'm just like, this is too, it's too much for me to handle because it's so great. Um, And I don't really know. It was extremely, it was extremely black and extremely Philly. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's like, the other the, thing. It couldn't have been more Philly unless he rang the bell while eating a cheesesteak. Like- he, he did. <laughs> and he, he took a and then he oh, took, yeah, God. He, and took, he took the picture with Kevin Hart. Yeah, they were eating cheesesteaks courtside. <laughs> him and Kevin Hart during the game. Because I said the exact same thing to my boyfriend. I was like, oh, all he what? needed was a cheesesteak. And my boyfriend was like, oh, yeah, he had one. Courtside with Kevin Hart. And I was like, so. You oh. mean to tell me the Eagles won the Super Bowl? Hmm. Y'all got me free. Listen. No, we was winning until Bill Cosby got. I'm, I'm the clip. Oh, yeah. See, Ooh. we got Meek back, but then we lost book. We got, we lost I'm getting book. there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> 2018, the year of Philly, y'all. <laughs> y'all gain one to lose one. <laughs> so the black delegation has decided. Listen, they're okay. The Eagles, great. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge football person, but I called my best friend right after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and he's a huge Eagles fan, and he was sobbing. Like, I've seen him cry before, but he was sobbing. So, like, I get it. It's been huge. Meek Mill, great. Then today, I get a text from my friend Quinn, who's amazing. You guys should all go follow her, Control Alt Quinn, on Twitter. Um, She goes, holy cow. Which, those are not her words. I'm editing a little bit. But she was like, Bill Cosby is going to jail. That nigga is getting 30 years. And I was just like, Holy oh, cow! Oh damn, he in thirty years. Thirty. What if Bill? Years. What if People Bill lives to be a hundred and one? <laughs> what if he lives to be a hundred and one? He comes out of the jail and dies right there. Like he's gonna die in jail. Yep. Nine out of ten. Yeah, he he's be- like seventy. He's eighty. He's seventy. No, he's. He, he's I think older he's. Than 70. I think he's older than. I think he's. I thought he was seventy. No, he's older than seventy. 
I kind of want to look at like 70 something. Somebody look this shit yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Pill Cosby's only like 70 something. But, okay, I need to ask you guys a question. And this is, again, my naiveness about me. Why are some people in the black community? I mean, I think I know the answer, but why are some people in the black community like, why do they just stand for him so hard? Stand for Bill Cosby? Yeah. So hard. Okay. Someone please explain. I this. think we love seeing other black I people think, win. I, I think it's even more than that. It, for us, we have also been caught up. I, I think I think our history has come in waves. Where when with the rise of Dr. King and Malcolm X and Baldwin, it it was considered like the era of of trying to get out of bondage and white supremacy and oppression. Sure. And the first step in trying was the respectability politics aspect. Mm-hmm. So it was the dress nice, speak kindly, don't do anything to make waves. That's Bill Cosby's era. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Bill Cosby's talking about respectability politics and pull up your pants and he don't really care about blacks. It's like, no, the mm-hmm. era that he was born in, that was the way that blacks saw their way out. So he holds on to that. Okay. With us today, we saw Bill Cosby as the guy who had black people on TV in college hoodies. He's the guy who showed us that a mom and dad are black and together and have multiple kids and they're doctors and lawyers and they're middle class and they are doing great with the Cosbys. We saw Fat Albert. We grew up with Bill Cosby the way that white America has told us to to be Mm. so that we can get out of this oppressive system. And in none of that were we seeing glimpses of this toxic man. And so now it pops up and 40 plus white ladies, I think one or two black women, come forward and say Bill Cosby is his predator. And I think for black people, it's like, anytime we have something good, y'all want to come take it. And it's this toss up between do, especially, I think this is more for black women and women in general. It's do we side with the women or do we side with our blackness? Mm -hmm. And I remember one of, one of the people who had said that he had abused her and violated her or whatever. She was, she said, I could only think that I'm black before I'm a woman. Yeah. Mm. She said, I'm a black woman, but I'm black before I'm a woman. And if I come forward with anything that he did to me, I'm, I'm leaving behind the black community and I'm letting them down. Mm. But if I don't say anything, I'm letting women down. Mm. And so to be in that position where you're battling these two identities because he is, he's, he was the black father that we wanted as our face of America. And it isn't until the newer generation with us who are like, we don't need respectability politics. We need to be able to be who we want to be and do what we want to do and be great. Yeah. Wow. I'm really glad that I just am able to throw things out to you guys and you sort it all out for me. It's like the <laughs> easiest job ever because I do I do learn things. I think I learn better that way. Like I need someone to break it down for me. Nice. Yes. Bill Meek Mill is free. Dr. Bill. Who's not a real doctor? Pill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Pill Cosby. Is not. And Pill Cosby. No. Pill Cosby. P I L L. Pill. Pill Cosby. No. Also, my niece and nephews love the Cosby show, and we like watch it when we get together sometimes. And I'm just gonna struggle from now on. I'm just gonna struggle. And when they get older, I will struggle out loud with it too. <laughs> but for now, they're still young, so I can't like. Talk about quaaludes. That's just bad. Anyway, this day in history, April has always been a monumental month, I feel like, for black people, and this year was no exception. Woo! So, moving on to my topic. On this day in mess, (laughs) (laughs) a college professor decided to rise from the depths of average Joanne to Erica Killmonger. Wakanda forever. California State University Fresno professor Rhonda Gerard, I hope I'm saying this right, decided that she would be wearing red to Barbara Bush's funeral while raining down verbal shots. Gerard took to Twitter to spend all 280 characters to express her distaste for the late Mrs. Bush. She said, quote, PSA, either you are against these pieces of shit 
and their <laughs> genocidal ways or you're part of the problem. That's actually how simple this is. I'm happy the witch is dead. Can't wait for the rest of her family to fall to their demise the way 1.5 million Iraqis have. The article from the, the New York Post. It's just, she got that it's just so much. Yeah, she was, yeah. she came, I told you this day you're mess. The article from the New York Post by Bob Fredericks pulls out the public as well as a few alumni tweets of disapproval, disapproval for Gerard's comments. <laughs> However, Gerard continued to not give a single fuck and replied, if you'd like to know what it's like being an Arab American, Muslim American woman with some clout online expressing an opinion, look at the races going crazy in my mentions right now. And then Gerard reached deep in her petty bag and posted the number to a crisis and suicide prevention center, which inadvertently got flooded with the rage of the internet since folks thought it was Gerard's own number. But Gerard had one last bullet in her revolver and left telling the rage of Twitter, I work as a tenured professor. I make a hundred K a year doing that. Mm. I will never be fired. I will always have people wanting to hear what I have to say. To add a dash more flavor, at the end of all this spice, Joseph Castro, the president of Fresno State, issued a statement that basically Gerard's words are her own and under her legal right of freedom of speech. Although they are, quote, contrary to the core values of our university, which include respect and empathy for individuals with divergent points of views and a sincere commitment to mutual understanding and progress. Copy and paste, sent. So, I have a few questions. <laughs> First question. <laughs> I, I have one thing to say about this. Which will be an answer to your question. So go ahead. First question. Was Gerard way out of pocket? Or was she actually pulling kind of the same tactic that white folks, and I'm, I'm going to just say white folks, that a lot of folks use uh, when they're referencing bin Laden or Hitler, which is the way I'm comparing this is a big political figure is a part of a, a is a part of heinous crimes. Um, basically it's automatic piss on their grave so like i was saying when we reference bin laden or hitler it's piss on their grave but are we giving a pass to barbara bush like 1.5 million iraqis her family was a part of that what are we doing okay i have what are two we doing? things to say <laughs> <laughs> and that's it because i because no okay okay i have three things number one because, okay, whatever you believe about the Bushes or feel about them, have you seen George W.'s paintings of the dogs? They're adorable. I mean, Hitler was a great painter, oh, too. Oh, so, man. So, I like didn't I know said, that. Like I said, are we pissing on their <laughs> graves or are we not? I don't know. Are we pissing on their graves or are we not? So that's my, what are you doing? That's my first thing. My first thing is his paintings come with that heat paintings are great she came with that heat. number two um this is this is controversial and i'm aware and i have nothing to back it up with so i'm just saying this out loud because i want to did barbara bush pull the trigger no no but but she baked the cookies for the niggas that did so it's like the whole it's the whole spiral and you're right like you're right number three I know nothing about higher education. I know nothing about academia. That is not my world. That is not my area of expertise. But when I see one of my wokest, blackest, educated, te almost tenured professor friends say that this woman was out of pocket, then I know something's up. Oh, she was way out of pocket. So, like, Shorty it was, was just wrong. interesting to me that. because I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, all black academics is going to be agreeing with her. And I mean, again, not my world. So I was just kind of glossing over it. And then I saw my friend's post and he was like, that was not cool. We are professors. This is well. And he was just kind of like laying it all out, you know, in layman's terms, which I appreciate because I don't get it. But I was like, oh, if he thinks it wasn't cool, then maybe it wasn't cool. And then I just kind of glossed over it. And then the next day, Daphne, you put all your notes in and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> So, so I have another yeah. question. 
what about this crisis hotline number? Does that speak? So first of all, I personally think Shorty was way on another level of drawling. <laughs> Mega draw. But does that speak to the larger community's bullying slash death threat culture? Where we're constantly talking about don't be a bully and don't pick on people and let them live. I mean, Trump got into the presidency with people saying he has a freedom of speech to grab him by the cooters and all that other shit. But she technically is expressing her freedom of speech. Okay. And then they tried to flood her phone with death threats, but they flooded the suicide crisis center with death threats. So my question is, what was her point in doing that? I don't need I don't need to know her intention, of course. But okay, like I don't why? Yeah, I don't personally know her point in doing it, but I the only thing that I can rationalize of the other side of it was either one, well, I think there's two things. I think one, she either knew people were gonna flood the number and so she wanted to kind of make a point, like look how stupid you are. Sure. Or the other option was when she had been talking about look at the racism I mentioned, you guys are crazy. I think it was y'all need help. Here's the mm. number. Okay. That's what I and thought. That's what I wanted it to be. But also that's like, either way it was drawing. Right. Either way it was drawing. It was drawing. It was options a, are just beyond, <laughs> beyond, beyond, beyond. And I don't know what picture was posted. I don't know if it's her like Twitter picture or something, but she really creepy. Real creepy. creepy. The flower one with the flower in the hair. Maybe. And she has this smirk on her face that yeah, aside yeah, yeah. from her problematic tweets just kind of makes me go, I don't know. I don't know about homegirl. Because I don't know if that picture was taken directly from like a, a social media account right. or if it was done for the article. Right. But it matches the article on the level, on the scale of a little off the cuff. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, Shorty got six figures in her bank account. What what do we don't know? we always don't we always hear people say it doesn't matter because they're rich. Jay Z could cheat because he's rich. Well, Miss Rhonda Jarrar can say whatever the hell she want because apparently she got honey K in tenure. Yeah, what do we know, right? Wallin. <laughs> so actually, the the black business that I'm going to focus on right now is called the Superiors. It's actually like a, um, it's a Lehigh Valley based um, it's a Lehigh Valley based group, and recently the uh, one of his creators, um, he's a uh, he's a grad a graduate student at my school, he started selling uh he started selling shea butter that he made that he made in Ghana and I don't know exactly the type of deal that he has but like I know that half the half the proceeds of the shea butter actually goes back to the uh, the people in Ghana. It's through some type of foundation. I'd have to, um, I know, like, I'm going to drop, of course, we're going to drop the link down so you can get in contact with the people. But, like, through his, through the foundation, half, like, I think, I think a Shea Butter costs $10. So, five, he gets five of that, and the other half goes to the, uh, goes to a specific uh, foundation that helped him uh, get the seeds and everything. So, I think that's pretty cool. And I've been. Awesome. I've actually Shout out been, to Miles. Yeah, I've actually been using it in my hair. Like honestly, you can put shea butter on everything. <laughs> you, you listen, really can. somebody rub some shea some shea butter on this white supremacy and get it to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Do they Hopefully. have? Does he have a an Instagram? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll send you guys the link. I'll also put the link. Like we you know when this is an actual video, I'll put it in the, uh, description. The description. Yeah, but yeah, like. They had, they made like a trailer and everything. I think the like page on Facebook has like six seven hundred likes now. Every like it's really everybody. For most of the people of color on campus are walking around with his shea butter. That's amazing. He's always been like support a good black businessman. Support black business, honey. Yeah. And like, because mm. I was just gonna get it just because I know him, and then I started using it. I like, I was running low on like my um because I use like Cantu to co wash. I was running. I was running low on uh, whatever moisturizer I use. It's like a mixture of like olive oil. It's like a mixture of olive oil, rosemary, and uh, what else? And castor oil, and like water. And I shake it up. I was running low on that, so I'm like, okay, let me just try this little. Let me just try this uh, shea, shea butter. So I like I start like putting it. I'm like, okay, but like I'm I'm getting greasy. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. 
So yeah, like, and it's really cool that it's really cool that like he's trying to give back to the uh, the people who gave so much to him during his time in Ghana. So I think it's really dope. That's awesome. Cool. So this is the end of our segment, guys. Yeah. So be sure to catch us next week with new content, commentary, and a whole lot of mess, I'm sure. <laughs> Episodes are posted each Tuesday at 7 p.m. So bye, everybody. Bye. See you guys.